Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn with me if you would. Um, We're going to be in, I'm going to tell you where to go as as we move along here. We're going to be in a number of places, and I've got several passages I want to share this morning. Um, and as you can imagine and expect, it's going to be a Independence Day message. So let me tell you a couple things on the front end of this message. First of all, I'm not going to keep you here extra long, uh, I promise. I know you all have things today you want to do. How, having said that, I believe God gave me a message for this day, this moment, this church, this time that I want to share. Also, I want you to know, and this is the bad news, I've got four sermons right here on my pad today to share. That's the bad news. The good news is I'm not going to share them, as I said, all today. They're going to be a series that I'm going to begin. It's a series called God's Country. Doesn't that sound like a country song? God, God's Country. It sounds like somebody. It is a country song. All right, there you go. I know who my country music fans are. This isn't that. This is the idea that this country is, God has blessed us with this country. God's country. I'm also going to talk this morning about some things, and I know this will shock some of you that I would do this, but controversial. And and I'm even going to be just, yeah, I I know, right? I don't ever do that. Um, I'm going to talk about some things a little bit graphically this morning here in a a moment. And and I, I just want you to hear what God, I believe, spoke to me to share this morning. Freedom is never free. It's never free to get, and it's never free to keep. I believe this. We live in the greatest country in the world that has ever been. And, and okay, maybe that sounds nationalistic and all of those words, and, but I think I could even support that and back that up with, with some reality and some facts. We have incredible freedom in America. And is America perfect? Not by a long shot, is it? It was. Has it ever been perfect? No, and and it never will be perfect. But yet, we have managed to spread this gospel further around this world than any other nation in any other, any other time. We have raised the level of living. It, it it is it is amazing to me the people that choose to tear down this country that are making million dollar salaries. And, and living out the freedom that this, this, this country provides. Now, I'm all for, let's call out problems where there's problems. If you don't call them out, if you sweep them under the rug, they stay there forever. But I'm going to tell you, America is a pretty great country. Having said that, as always, freedom isn't free. And if we're going to continue to be a great country, there will have to be those willing to sacrifice and willing to fight and willing to support what it takes to stay free. Now, let me stop there. I'm going to put a lot of uh, just interjections in here maybe today as I preach. I think everybody in this room would get this, but now that we're on Facebook and we're on live and this gets recorded, people from literally around the world can see this at some time or another. Now, I'm not naive enough to think i got a million people out there watching right now. But, you, you know, once, it, once something's put on the Internet, it's there forever, right? You need to remember that. <laughs> it's there forever. So let me just say this. What I'm talking about this morning when it comes to fighting for freedom, I'm not talking about taking up arms. I'm not talking about 
picking up a gun and fighting against your neighbor or your government or your nation. That's not in OT. Y'all get that. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But I am saying that freedom is never free, and to get it is never free, and to hold it is never free. I read something this week. I, I receive a newsletter. Uh, it's, it's an economic financial newsletter I get. I, I don't know if it's weekly or monthly. And he has, he has some interesting comments in there. I wasn't going to share this morning in the sermon, and then it, it, I had no intention of that. And then I, as I finished the sermon this week, I, I thought, okay, this, this connects. You all need to hear this. This is from a an author, Carl Becker, and I don't know anything about Carl Becker. I don't know what his politics were. I don't know. I, I don't even. I, I don't know a lot about him. So I'm going to share what was shared in this newsletter. He wrote an article, "The Dilemma of Modern Democracy," in 1941. So put this in context for a minute. 1941, we were still remembering the Great Depression. I mean, I think you could even say not out of the Great Depression. Hard times. We were in the middle of World War II. The world was in the middle of World War II. Uh, hard, hard times. And he writes this about democracy. Remember the title of this is The Dilemma of Modern Democracy. Democratic government, that's us. Democratic government is government by discussion and majority vote. It works best when there's nothing of profound importance to discuss. Have you ever, you you guys ever get C-SPAN? You watch C-SPAN? Is there anybody here that is actually so into self-abuse that you actually sit down and watch our Congress on C-SPAN? I mean, you've, you've, got to, you've got to be the kind of person that would put a stick in your eye for fun. I mean, it is just hard to watch this stuff, C-SPAN. And, and they can argue and go on for hours and, and, and never say anything of significance. And that's wonderful when there's nothing significant on the table. And that's what he's saying. Democratic government is government by discussion and majority vote. It works best when there's nothing of profound importance to discuss. He goes on and says this, and this is, this is, his, this is some paraphrasing a, a little bit, but it's, it's not far from his actual words. He says this, in order for a democracy to work, it requires the minority to accept defeat at the polls in good temper, since it need not regard the decision as permanent or fatal surrender of vital interest. They believe they can speak, persuade, and change things next election. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. For a democracy to be healthy and to, and to survive, the losers have to be willing to lose and be good sports about it. And the only way that happens is one of two things. Either they're losing something that they don't really care about, or they're losing something they really do care about, but they believe they're going to have the opportunity to persuade the country to go their way next election cycle. Because when the losers refuse to lose, and the, refu- the losers refuse to lose gracefully, what's the option? It's not a good one. Democratic government rests upon the principle that it's better to count heads than it is to break them. That's the option. We're not the first democracy. We just happen to be the first one that figured out how to make it work, at least for any significant period of time. When these conditions no longer exist, the democratic way of life is always in danger. Now, here's the problem we're running into in America, and and I'm going to bring this back to the church in a moment, but I want you to hear this. The losers, and I don't care which side you want to talk about. We can talk about Democrats, we can talk about Republicans, whatever. Aren't losing so gracefully anymore. 
And it almost has the feel that we're coming to the place where one side or the other, and I don't know which side it's going to be, at some point is going to say, I don't think we're going to be able to take the next election cycle, therefore let's just blow the whole thing up. Maybe not with bombs. Maybe it's legislation, but let's just blow the whole system up. And the other problem that we're running into in America is this. The reason the minority is willing to accept loss is because they believe they can speak freely, and they'll have the opportunity to persuade others to come to their side. And I know there's a lot of talk, and people are really beginning to embrace this idea of let's just begin to curtail free speech. Free speech has gone too far. People shouldn't have the freedom to say anything, especially if it's going to cause hurt or pain to somebody else. And I'm going to tell you, when we begin to curtail free speech, it sounds good when it's being curtailed our way, but when you begin to pull back on free speech... all of a sudden, the minority no longer has any reason to believe they're going to ever be able to change things. And when I lose the ability to persuade, people tend to start knocking heads, right? And that's not the way a democracy survives. We're to this point in America, we cannot agree on what freedom or morality even look like. I'm going to give you this example because it's from this week and last week. Last week, I sat down, I, I, I receive a... Uh, church religious uh, news magazine once a week, even more than that, really. Uh, it's just from a variety of church, church, church news and what's going on in the world that impacts churches. And one of the articles that I read last week was, we had a, let me see if I can get this right, we had a biological man go to a local gym who, uh, who claims to be a female, who, who identifies as a female, go to a gym, go into the locker room, take off his clothes, get in the shower, and be exposed to the young girls and the moms that were in the locker room. And when they went to the head of the spa, or the not the spa, but the, the gym, and complained, some of the moms did and some of the girls' parents did, They said, there's nothing we can do because legally the law has been passed within this state that we can't make them, if they identify as a female, they have every right to be in the female locker. A few years ago, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, was having a conversation with a lawyer here in in Indianapolis. And uh, in the conversation, this whole idea of transgenderism and, and, and many of these things came up. And and he made the statement to the lawyer, not a Christian lawyer, I I don't believe, but he made the statement, he said, you're not going to like it when some man walks in and exposes himself to your granddaughter or your daughter. And and, and the lawyer kind of raised up a little bit and said, well, that'll never happen. That's not what they're about. If that's true, if that's not what those who are transgender are about, and let's just give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment. There are plenty of people in this world will take advantage of circumstances. And you can't look at a person and say to them, I can tell by looking at you, you're either really transgender or you're just plain because you want to do perverted things. And when we open that door, this is the wisdom of America. We can't, so here, here's the thing, we can't even decide what freedom is because on the one hand, uh, this, this happened, and, and you say, well, that's an isolated case. Well, then this week, early in the week, it was a biological female 
who went into a public pool in Iowa and identifies as a man and decided I'm going to walk around all day without my top on and did, went into the men's boys locker room without her top on because she is a female who identifies as a male and they went to the pool, uh, whoever the authorities were there in the city and, and basically said the same, they said the same thing, the law has been passed, there's nothing we can do. This morning I got up, and, and why I finally ended up putting this in the sermon this morning was there were, was a riot. It was the way it was described. This wasn't Christian news. This was Reuters, I believe, had put this out. In L.A., they had a very similar thing in a spa where somebody who identified one way, you see, this is three times in two weeks. And on the one hand, as I read the comments and I see the comments coming on, on the one hand, we have people that are claiming that freedom means I need to have the freedom to call myself a male or a female, and I need to have the freedom to take myself in, in a state of undress into either locker room as I choose. That's freedom. On the other hand, we have moms and dads saying, no, freedom is me being able to send my kids, my daughters, my granddaughters, my sons, my grandson into a locker room and not have to worry about them being exposed to somebody of the opposite biological gender. We can't even decide on what freedom is or what morality is. Do we have a problem in America today? I remember when the hardest thing that a pastor ever got up and spoke about and preached about in America was this, that we used to stand up, and, and I, so I'm 55, and it was to stand up and preach that sexual relationships ought to be, should be, are meant to be kept within a marriage. And you would get people all riled up, people all excited about that, and that would be the hardest thing that you ever preached. But today, that doesn't even hit the radar because of where we've gone as a nation. Freedom to speak, disagree, thereby persuade is more and more being curtailed. We'll see whether this message is even allowed to remain on Facebook or not. We'll see. The minority less and less believe they can change things next election cycle or that they should wait. The democratic way of life is in danger, and really what we're trying to decide is who will we be as Americans. Now listen to me this morning, Christians. America is what it is, and we are who we are, because men and women chose to fight. And again, I'm not talking about guns, although there were plenty of guns in the Revolutionary War. We could talk about the Civil War. We could also talk about the Civil Rights Movement of the 50s, because men and women chose to stand up for what was right. They chose to stand up for what was moral. They, they chose to, to stand up for freedom, and they chose to stand up for liber liberty. And we're at a place in our nation today where future generations will judge us, Christian, as to how we deal with the world that we are now in. And we are going to be judged on whether or not we're willing to fight or we're going to sit down and, and passively accept what is thrown at us. You understand what I'm saying this morning? You go back to the, 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 the like 1095 AD. So I'm going back a thousand years ago. The Catholic Church, somebody within the Catholic Church, and I'm not picking on Catholics this morning. This just happens to be the historical context of what I want to share. They, somebody within the Catholic Church, probably the Pope or a Cardinal or somebody high in that organization, that church, determined that, you know, we need to begin to raise some funds. So let's raise some funds by selling what they called indulgences. 
and basically in very layman's terms, the idea was that there is a storehouse of mercy somewhere, and if you will come and pay the church, pay 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 the church a certain amount of money, we can tap into that storehouse of mercy, and that storehouse of mercy can be applied to your dead loved one and get them out of purgatory. Went on for 500 years until finally somebody stood up, a man by the name of Martin Luther, and said, no, that is not what the Word of God is about. That's not what salvation's about. That's not what forgiveness of sin is about. And it turned the whole thing around. And the church became judged upon their 500-year stand. We will be judged, church. Hear me this morning. We will be judged on whether or not we're willing to stand and fight for godly freedom and godly morality or whether we're willing to sit passively by out of fear or out of don't want to get involved or whatever, we're going to be judged. We'll be judged as the church was judged in World War II, the European churches, and this is Catholic and Protestant alike, many of them, not all of them by any means, but many of them as Adolf Hitler rose to power in Germany and as he began to execute and exterminate the the Jewish people and, and commit genocide, there were many within the church that became very comfortable to sit back and to make excuses and to allow it to take place. To this day, they're judged. We could talk about the American horrible institution of slavery. We could talk about the many churches that throughout the early parts of this nation were willing to stand up and say and justify slavery with some kind of biblical context. Church today will be judged on how we handle this moment in time. Will we stand or will we fight? Not with guns, but with a greater power than guns. Say, Pastor Barry, you're telling me there's never going to come a day that the church would need to stand up and pick up arms? I'll, I'll tell you this, there's never going to come a day where as a Christian, as the church, I will need to stand up and pick up arms. Will there come a day where as a citizen I might need to do that? I, I don't, I hope not. Do you understand the difference? And I'm a follower of Christ before I'm a citizen. I choose to be both. But if it comes to one or the other, I'm a follower of Christ. What am I talking about? I'm talking the power of prayer. I'm talking about the power of Jesus. I'm talking about the power of fasting. I'm talking about the power, perhaps, of martyrdom. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. But let's start with Jesus and the example that he sets. We all know of Jesus as the Lamb of God, right? He was the Lamb that was sacrificed. And we all, most of us, know that there's going to come a day where Jesus will come back and he'll no longer be known as the Lamb, but he's going to be the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he'll come back as the Lion who will conquer. And and we know that that is going to happen sometime. But we find ourselves standing and living right here in the middle. And sometimes we get so stuck on the Lamb aspect of who Jesus was and who Jesus is that we forget that there was more to Jesus than just being the Lamb. We read in Mark 9, 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And Jesus, even as the lamb, or heading towards being the one who would hang on the cross as the lamb, looked at the demonic forces and the demonic spirits, and he rebuked them. That's the power 
and the battle that I'm talking about this morning. We read in Matthew chapter 8, and when he, he got into the boat, the disciples followed, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? I'm talking about Matthew 9. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. I'm talking about Mark 9. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise again. I'm talking about Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one I died, and behold, Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. I'm talking about that Jesus who speaks to demons and they have to flee, who speaks to powers and principalities and they have to run, who speaks to the weather when it comes against him and, and tries to stop his plans and it responds to him, who speaks to the sick and they're healed. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? That same Jesus that had the power I'm talking about is the Jesus that lives within us, that hears us, is always at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So when I talk this morning about the power of fighting and standing up for freedom and standing up for morality and standing up for our nation. I'm not talking about picking up a weapon and going to battle with your neighbor or your nation or your government, but rather I'm talking about picking up that which God has given us in prayer and praying in the name of Jesus against those forces and against that darkness, against the lies, against the deceptions in high places and fighting the way God has called us to fight. And the problem doesn't become that the church doesn't have the power to fight or the weapons to fight. It's that we don't pick the weapons up. We're called to fight and lead just as Jesus did. Jesus is our example. And, and, and can I just say this to you men here this, this morning? This is for everybody, but guys, especially you, God put in the soul of men the heart of a warrior. My wife and I, it, 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 was, it has been done many times, but it was driven home to me again this week as we sat together and watched a, a television show. And there came a scene in the show where there were two men boxing in a ring, and it was pretty brutal. And Ruthie's sitting there beside me, and she covers her eyes. She's like, all right, just tell me when it's done. I, 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 she said, I hate to watch men box. I, I fight. I can't. I just can't do it. And she, she does this to me on a regular basis. Any of you ladies relate to this? She's like, I hate to see. You know what I told her? I looked at her. I said, honey, I, I, I get that. And I'll tell you when it's over. But I got to be honest with you, honey. It makes me wish I was 40 pounds young, or 40 pounds younger. 40, <laughs> 40 pounds younger and 40 years younger and 40 pounds lighter so I could go and, begin, and be a boxer. There is that which is within me that wants to compete, that wants to fight, that wants to... Do you, under, you guys understand what I'm saying this morning? God has put within the heart of men, the heart of warriors. And our society wants to take that and kill that and quench that and destroy that. And I'm telling you, the enemy has done everything he can to convince you that that is evil. And I'm telling you, it needs to be controlled and it needs to be directed and it needs to be handled in, in, a, in a moral, godly way. But I'm telling you, God placed within you the heart of a warrior. And we men, especially above and beyond anybody else, although ladies, we need you in this just as much. We have got to be willing to stand up 
and really kneel down and fight for our nation. Jesus is our example. We're accused sometimes as Pentecostals of putting the Holy Spirit in the center of our beliefs, our theology. But that's not true. It's not accurate. Jesus is the center of our theology. And, and, and I want to I show you this. And I, There's a sermon here, but I'm not, I'm, this is just this, one of the sermons I'm not going to preach this morning. But I, I, I want to show you this. Pentecostal beliefs do not put the Holy Spirit in the center, but they put Jesus in the center. And it begins all the way back in the Old Testament because the people of God, Israel, they were looking for a messianic savior, right? They needed a Messiah to come and save them from the Romans, save them from the Greeks, save them from the Babylonians, save them. They needed a Messiah. But you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Joel, you read the book of Isaiah, and there was something about this Messiah he was supposed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was in the center, but his power came from the Holy Spirit, and he would be empowered by the Spirit of God to set God's people free. You look at the conception of Jesus. You guys know this story. Maybe you've just never thought about all these things together. But Jesus, when he was conceived, the Holy Spirit came and hovered over Mary. Do you remember that? The Holy Spirit was there at conception. Simeon, when Jesus was carried into the temple, Jesus is the sinner, but it's the Holy Spirit who empowers him. Jesus was carried into the temple, and Simeon, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, came and took baby Jesus and blessed him. Blessed him. On the day of his baptism, the Spirit came and confirmed his deity. On the day of his baptism, the Spirit came and inaugurated his ministry. When he came up out of the water and out of being baptized by John the Baptist in water, it was the Spirit that led him into the desert. It was the Spirit who led him into the desert where he was tempted by Satan. It was the Spirit. It was the Spirit that when he came out of the desert, full of the Spirit, had prepared him for service. Acts 10.38 sums up the life of Jesus this way. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with, was with him. You read in Hebrews 9, it was the Spirit that allowed Jesus to be hung on the cross, allowed Jesus to have the strength and the courage and the willingness to be hung on. It was the Spirit that allowed that, according to Hebrews 9, 14. And then Romans 8, 11, it says, by the Spirit he was raised from the dead. You see, Jesus is our example. Men, Jesus is our example. I, I, I want you to hear this, especially you men. Jesus is our example, and the reason he was the warrior king, he was the warrior Messiah, not to pick up arms. In, in fact, he chastised, he chastised his disciples when they took up the sword, okay? But he was the warrior in a spiritual sense because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the man that the way he fought his battles was to get up early in the morning and to go out into the darkness, go out into the wilderness, go out into the garden and spend time with his heavenly father in prayer under the power of the spirit. Are you hearing me, men? One of these days, we will be judged. We will be judged which kind of church, which church we are, which church we choose to be, which church we set ourselves up to either bring freedom or allow it to die on our watch. Jesus is our example. 
He, was, he is the center, but his center is one empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's why he commanded his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, because he knew he knew that his disciples, once he left this earth, his, he knew his disciples were going to walk into the same battles that he had fought. And he says in Genesis chapter 3, I believe it's 15 or 16, he says, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just for you. It's for you and your sons and your grandson, grandsons and daughters and for all the generations that come after you. Look at me for just a second this morning, okay? Those words weren't just written for the disciples. They were written for you. Hear me this morning, okay? Jesus knew that in 2021 in the United States of America, the battle that rages was going to rage. And his people were going to have the opportunity to turn a nation. But in order to turn that nation, they were going to need the working of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That when they pray against powers and principalities, they weren't praying in their own power, but they were praying in the power of the Spirit of God. When they prayed against sickness, they weren't just praying in their own power, but they were praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. When they prayed for their officials and their nations and their leaders and their politicians, they weren't just praying in their own power, but they were praying in the power of the Spirit of God. Just as Jesus had done, just as the apostles had done, just as the next generation had done, and the next generation. Jesus is our example, and that's why he commanded and commands us to seek that relationship with the Holy Spirit because he knew the battle. And he knew they would be endued with the same presence and power of the Spirit that had energized the ministry of Jesus. Now, here's a sermon I'm not going to preach, but can I just let me, let me just do this. When you're energized and empowered, Spirit of God. All of a sudden, you have a power to bring freedom. Here's a whole sermon, maybe a couple sermons, that I'm not going to preach. <laughs> it is in that empowerment of the Spirit that you find what we call sanctification. Now listen to me this morning. Some, some of you need to hear this. Because the freedom you need more than any other freedom right now in your life is freedom in your own life, freedom for yourself. You need freedom from language that's just eating you alive. You need freedom for anger that's controlling you. You need freedom from some life-controlling addiction. You need freedom from jealousy. You need freedom from greed. You need, free you need freedom from those sins that so easily beset His people. Some of you, you have and you continue to struggle with something. And I'm telling you this morning, the avenue to freedom is sanctification. And, and I, I, there's a sermon here I'm not going to preach, okay? But sanctification and the working of the Spirit are like this in God's Word. And the more the Spirit of God you've got in you, the tighter you walk to the Spirit of God, and you understand when I say Spirit of God, I'm talking about God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He's every bit as much God as God the Son and God the Father. When you, The closer to, to God you walk through the, the Holy Spirit, the more power. There's a reason that Galatians says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a reason. 
This isn't Pastor Barry confessing to anything other than maybe confessing to everything. I don't know. I've never given in to temptation in my life when I was walking close to the Spirit of God. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? I said, Pastor Barry, you've given in to temptation. Of course. Say, what'd you do? None of your business. but it's never happened when I was walking close to the Spirit of God. And if you're struggling with something this morning and it keeps knocking you down and you get up and it knocks you down for three days and you get up and it knocks you down for a week and you get up and it knocks you down for a month and and you get up and it knocks you down for a year and you get up and you just can't seem to beat it, I'm telling you the reason it's beating you instead of you beating it is because you're not walking close to the Spirit of God like you're supposed to be. You walk full of the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the devil knows that. He doesn't come at you after you've been at the altar. He doesn't come after you after you've been in a great worship service and in the presence of God. There's a reason when you come out of those powerful services like like I'm describing, or you you come out of those moments of some retreat, men's retreat, women's retreat, and the Spirit of God is... There's a reason that when you come out of those moments, you're not attacked with temptation because he knows that. You're going to be attacked three days or six days or seven days later after you've let it kind of die off, but it's not God's plan that you let that die off. You continue to... See, there's a reason Jesus went out and spent the mornings with the Father. Because he was renewed with the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying this morning? The freedom I'm talking about is freedom in our own lives, but the person that's empowered with the Spirit also, also finds themselves having the power to set free others. A few years ago, I went to the Dominican Republic. Been there, uh, I think, three times. Some... I've been there a few times with some of you in this room, and I don't remember who was there the year that I'm going to describe, but we were over um, working in the little school area that we worked on every time we'd been down there. And uh, a local pastor, actually I think a, a daughter or granddaughter of the pastor came over and said, you all need to come and pray because so-and-so, and another little girl, she's, she's at my mom's house and she is, she's on the bed and she's, she's demon-possessed. Well, every time somebody throws a curse word doesn't mean they're demon-possessed. Tell somebody does something bad doesn't mean they're demon-possessed. But we went over and prayed, and we went over, we went over this, this house, and the pastor led the way, and we went in, and, and, and uh, I can't prove it to you. You can believe me or not believe you, believe me, but I'm telling you, just standing there looking at this teenage girl, she was demon-possessed. Everybody that has sickness and disease isn't demon-possessed. Everybody that has epilepsy isn't demon-possessed. But this little girl, she'd been messing with some stuff she had no business messing with, some occultic stuff, I believe. And we begin to pray, 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 and we continue to pray, and we prayed. And it was a half an hour, 45 minutes of really seeking God, rebuking this thing praying over her. And I've had this experience a, a very small handful of times in my life, and I have no desire to ever have it again. I don't seek it. I don't desire it. It's no fun. It's not something I'm bragging about. Or it, you, If you don't ever get put in a position to need to pray against demonic forces directly, you, your life will be happier, okay? 
But as we prayed, I watched, I watched her body go from rigid, angry, like a board, to relaxed, and her eyes open, and you could see that demonic influence leave this little girl's life. What I'm telling you this morning is, every demon doesn't manifest itself that way. Matter of fact, most demons, most demonic situations aren't demon-possessed as much as it is just influence. And what I'm telling you this morning is when God's people, God's women, God's men are walking in the power of the Spirit of God, you have the authority to pray against demonic forces and to rebuke them and to set people free. You've got somebody in your world, in your family, that just cannot seem to get their head and heart wrapped around the truth of the gospel. There may be a demonic influence. You've got somebody in your family that's dealing with addiction and they just can't seem to break it. You may be dealing with demonic influence. You, you, you don't like the direction that our nation's going. You don't like the twistedness. And there's another sermon that I'm not going to preach this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What time is it? i got to see how many more sermons i got to not preach this morning. <laughs> Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. You don't like the direction your country is going? I'm telling you this morning, you have the power to do something about it. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, I, I can't preach this this morning, but I want you to know this. Strongholds, that, that word strongholds, it's, it's entire, it, it could be described as entire institutions. Our educational system. Our governmental system. Social media. Hollywood. Sports that the enemy seems to have a never-ending control over what comes out of their mouths and comes out of their policies and comes out to tell America, this is what it looks like to be the best you can be. And I'm telling you this morning, you have power and authority to destroy strongholds. Not by picking up a gun, by getting on your knees and praying against them in the power of, of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. You have divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. And I could preach there for a minute, but I won't. Half a minute. I'm so tired of listening to far-left liberal activists argue persuasively in human standards that every white man is a racist that true freedom comes by if you went to a doctor I'm going to get in trouble for this one if you went to a doctor and you walked into that doctor and said doctor I don't think I should have my left eye anymore would you take it out for me or I walked into a doctor and I said I don't want to have a right arm anymore will you amputate it will you take it off for me I just don't feel like that's who I am will you take this arm off for me Right? They would look at you and say that you need help. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean you need somebody to help you. 
Yet we have people that tell us they, they want to argue from their lofty positions that it's okay for a man to walk into a doctor and say, you need to cut off and remove more important parts than my left eye or my right arm. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? And I won't, go, I won't be any more graphic with it than that, but do you understand what I'm saying? And we celebrate that and we say that's freedom. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And I'm, I'm not going to preach that this morning. And I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to tell you this morning, God will, in, in this world will judge us. And I'm going to ask you this morning, on this Independence Day, on this 4th of July, and men, I'm going to ask you in particular, are you willing to fight for the freedom that we've been blessed with? My dad fought in Korea. My father-in-law fought in World War II. I have nieces, and, or I have nephews. don't know about nieces, but nephews. I've been in Afghanistan, been Iraq. Some of you fought in Vietnam, lost friends there. To bring us to who we are today. History and the future are going to judge us. Who are we going to be tomorrow? And I'm going to ask you, man, are you willing? Are you willing to get up in the morning? as Jesus did. He's our example. And the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to pray against strongholds and powers and principalities, institutions and lofty arguments and stupid wisdom. Pray against addictions. Pray against failed marriages. Pray against relationships that are blowing up. Pray for your kids. Because history is going to judge us. We're going to be the church of Germany, the church of the first century, the Catholic church of the first century, the church of the Civil War era, or we're going to be the church that puts our feet on the ground and says, we will fight this battle. And Cheryl, it may look like we're surrounded and we're overcome and it's hopeless, but I'm telling you this morning, it's the enemy that's surrounded. If you're willing to fight, Talking about picking up arms. Say it again. I'm not talking about buying guns. If you own guns, God bless you. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm not talking about picking up arms against your nation, your neighbor, your government. I'm talking about fighting this battle on your knees. If you're willing to fight this battle, we stand to your feet this morning. Men and women, we stand to your feet this morning. Because it's a battle worth fighting. I got three grandbabies. I'm going to go see, and see, see one of them if I quit preaching. I want to leave them something. I mean, what I really hope happens is Jesus comes and we all just go to heaven, but I want to leave them something. How about you? History's going to judge us. Father, I pray right now over the men and women in this church. Men and women, you've blessed me with the privilege to pastor and to lead. God, I pray this morning as we leave this place on this 4th of July, let this be a day, let this be a, a moment where there's a stake placed in the ground. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. 
to fight on our knees. We're going to fight through fasting. We're going to fight through the Word of God, and we're going to seek a deeper walk of the Holy Spirit so we can fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to rebuke strongholds. We're going to get up in the wee hours of the morning, the early hours of the morning, and we're going to rebuke lofty positions and arrogance. And we're going to take back what is yours. Take back this nation. We're going to claim our family. We're going to pray over our family. We're going to pray over our kids. We're going to pray over their marriages. We're going to pray over their souls. We're going to believe you, God. And when we feel like we're surrounded, you surround us. God, work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Hey, listen, go have a great fourth. Take a nap. Take two naps. Go see the fireworks. Eat some fried chicken. And have a great fourth. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.